0: This is an RNZ podcast. Kia ora koutou, I'm Philip Tolley and welcome to Insight. This week, genetic modification. G-E3, G-E3. GM in agriculture has long been a contentious topic – any attempts to use this technology since its inclusion in legislation in 1996 has been met with litigation and protests. But some say New Zealand is ready once again to revisit the issue, especially as there's emerging technology already being developed in this country. Charlie Drever investigates if there's a future for genetic modification in Aotearoa's primary industries. Come on! Come on!
1: Federated Farmers Hawke's Bay President Jim Galloway owns a beef and sheep farm in Maraikākohō which falls under the Napier District Council. Jim Galloway takes me on a tour of some of the land on an all-terrain vehicle so we can easily scale hillsides that at this time of year are lush and green. Oh yeah,
2: We've only got 54 hectares
1: here. Oh, it's only 54.
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> For a sheep and beef farm, it's quite
0: small.
1: But in the family home with a cup of coffee and some home baking... Mr Galloway gets out his phone and shows me photos that indicate the hills are unlikely to stay green for much longer.
2: This is what it can look like in the middle of summer.
1: Oh wow, okay, yeah.
2: So yeah, it it goes brown, real brown.
1: In those dry years it can be tough for farmers.
2: Anywhere from November through to February to April it could be not growing at all uh, with the dry. So you might be getting you know anywhere from sort of three to four months to five months with no rain, no growth because it's, we've had no rain. Then a couple of years ago, we actually had a good rain early in the autumn, and then we had then we went basically two months with more or less no rain right through to the end of June, July. So that really slowed our winter growth, which is normally your reliable growth. Yeah, so it's hard to hard to stock and, and get your farming correct to try and utilise the grass, eat the grass that's growing, and not have hungry stock because you've run out of grass. It's a real juggling act.
1: Jim Galloway says technologies such as gene modification and editing can help make their job easier. However, he lives in an area that has a 10-year moratorium on its use.
2: That's a a real issue, potentially. If if something comes up, that can give us a really good benefit, such as reduced end loss, nitrogen loss, or, or we can get a far better growth rate of animals because of the grass that's there or other species, because there's not only grass, there's plantains, there's a whole heap of variety of grasses and, and other feeds that we can use. And then even then you get things like de-horns, you know, polled, the polled gene, which is polling, is no horns. And probably about 95%, 98% or more of dairy bulls and dairy animals have horns, because the good producers, the efficient users of, of feed to milk, they've all got horns. You know, there's millions of animals every year. They have to be dehorned, and they have to use anaesthetic, and it takes time, and obviously costs quite a bit of money. If we could turn that gene off instead of on, it would be, you know, save a lot, a lot for everyone.
1: He is still unsure whether or not he would use GM if it became available, but there are a mix of opinions in the farming community. With some arguing it would be a good tool, but even the slightest shift in the use of GM in this country has ignited the passions of the public. <laughs>
3: A day after the government's announcement, anti-GE groups were promising the issue is not going to go away. Parliament was the target of around 200 people who had been involved in a month-long march from Kaitaia. The march stopped at the Governor-General's residence on the way to Parliament to drop off banners with thousands of signatures.
4: It is about manipulation of us, manipulation of our knowledge and our wisdom, manipulation of our heritage and our cultures manipulation of our markets and economies...
1: That audio is from Checkpoint in 2001, when the first field trials of genetic engineering were allowed in New Zealand under strict conditions. Seventeen years on, the use of genetic modification or gene editing is still met with resistance. The former Chief Science Advisor for the Prime Minister, Sir Peter Gluckman, is a strong believer New Zealand has no choice but to revisit the topic. He says there have been significant scientific advancements since the early days of changing plants through chemical mutation. While the process of taking one gene from a plant or bacteria and inserting it into another plant or bacteria sounds somewhat unnatural, he argues it is the opposite.
5: Then along came genetic modification, which is about taking a gene from one plant or one bacteria and inserting it into another plant uh, or another bacteria And quite rightly, there was precaution taken at the beginning, but now after 30-odd years of using genetic modification, while it is still philosophically objectionable to some people, the evidence of its safety is clear. And like everything just as the random mutations from the chemical poisoning were screened first by, in laboratories to see that they produced a safe outcome, same is true of genetic modification. But both of those are crude tools in terms of what we now do with gene editing, such as the CRISPR technique, where you can actually regulate a switch on the gene to turn the gene on more or off. So you're not changing... The genetic architecture of the plant by inserting a new gene in, all you're doing is making a gene in the plant work more or work less under situations different to what it does. And that's what nature does all the time. Nature all the time is producing these single or small numbers of mutations. In every generation there are changes.
1: In his last report as chief science advisor, Sir Peter Gluckman laid out the ways genetic modification or gene editing could help the country limit its emissions. He said there was research suggesting new and effective ways to reduce pastoral greenhouse gases, which show promise, but many relied on gene editing or genetic modification.
5: The one thing that's on the horizon, more than on the horizon, is the availability of genetically modified and probably in the near future genetically edited grasses that both preserve the productivity of animals and reduce their methane production. And one could see a situation where there's a trade-off, where one, one reduces the number of cows and therefore all the environmental footprint, but sustains the agricultural economy because of the increased productivity that those animals have at lower methane production.
1: He believed the time has come for New Zealand to grasp the nettle, and seriously consider using such technologies in Aotearoa in the future.
5: New Zealand has to look uh, for what are its options ahead. And as a biologically based economy, we need to think through the range of biological technologies that are available or will become available. That doesn't mean we'll use all of them, but we do need to actually have a look at what, what our options are.
1: But is New Zealand really ready to once again open a can of worms on this divisive issue? The Royal Society held meetings around the country to gauge where public feeling is now on the potential ways gene editing could be used. At the gathering in Napier, there are about 40 people in total, including experts, farmers and landowners in the area. Examples given as potential uses for the technology included speeding up the breeding of new varieties of fruit, protecting Taonga species used in primary industries from disease, and removing allergens from dairy products. Gene editing which uses the gene already existing within the organism falls under the same legislation as genetic modification. But some scientists argue GE is actually different because GM introduces foreign genetic material rather than working within the existing gene. One of the speakers, legal and scientific researcher Dr Julie Everett Hinks from the University of Otago, says the use of GM and GE is influenced by a plethora of legislation.
6: There's a core piece of legislation at the moment, which is the Hazardous Substances and New Organisms Act. Um, however, there's interrelationship, if you like. When we look at any of these scenarios, we need to consider lots of pieces of um, legislation and how that might impact. For example, if we want to gene-edit cows so that we've got allergen-free milk, we need to get animal ethics approval for that. We need to you know, determine whether there is a new organism, whether the cow that is gene-edited would be a new organism and also look at any other types of conditions around conservation and resource management in particular regions as well. And do we feel
1: like it's a bit of an outdating issue here? Because, like, for example, the CRISPR technique was established in 2012 mm. and, and the legislation was back in the 90s and obviously there was a lot of fear around that time. Yes, that would be a fair enough comment because um, yeah, they didn't even contemplate
6: this technology back then. There have been some minor edits Since then, but really with this new technology, it's trying to work out where it fits. And you could argue that under the current legislation, that it's having difficulty fitting under that. So uh, a review is definitely needed.
1: Last year, the previous government made an amendment to the RMA, which means local councils can't put a ban on GM medical trials approved by the Environmental Protection Agency, but they can on crops. A professor of molecular genetics at Massey University, Barry Scott, says people are more likely to accept GM in medicine. He argues food is much more personal as it affects how families feed their children and is ingrained in the human psyche.
4: When you move into the primary industries and the food space, you're going to need very good benefits for people to come on board does track back to Monsanto and the 90s. They used this GM technology principally for the benefit of farmer with herbicide resistant crops. They did not take into account benefits for the consumer, and the technology was introduced without a conversation or dialogue with the public. And it's a classic example of technology getting way ahead. Of public acceptance, and there was a big um, backlash against that, and we've kind of had to live with that for a long time.
1: Barry Scott says scientists are now trying to rebuild that trust and work alongside the public. The need for Maori participation was also stressed during the morning's event. Leona Cardoera, who project manages Moldyland land in the Wildo area, is weighing up the pros and cons of what was suggested for tanga species particularly manuka and pahutakawa.
3: It would protect against disease, something I really want to support. Um, But the honey from the gene, edited manuka, could be considered unnatural. And as described, there's a risk to the properties, so I think we really need to have another space around that because is it about protecting the plant or is it minimising its actual properties? And really, you're not really having a, a natural plant there, are you? Your product is actually compromised uh, the other part there is around how urgent, how severe is the threat in terms of um, our plant species. And that would also determine too whether or not we go
1: one way or whether we still try an, a natural protection. Do you think that there's enough of a collective Māori voice on being heard about this and making sure that Māori interests are, are being heard and acknowledged and taken on board? Um, I could probably ask
3: you, look around the room, you know, so apart from my Finanga that, that we were all sitting with here, I think I counted three of us. So I think that's a representation of, of the voice that's out there. There's not enough voice.
1: But not everyone needed convincing on the potential benefits. A previous Federated Farmers president and South Canterbury farmer, William Ralston, made the trip to Napier especially for the event.
7: Well, I really wanted to hear what the public had to say, what what people coming into this room um, were going to say about this new gene-editing technology because it is a new revolutionary technology and I think people are really interested in it. And I, I have to say I was quite heartened and uh, in some ways surprised by the real interest and enthusiasm for the sort of scenarios that were painted today.
1: He thinks the choice of location is interesting seeing as the Hastings District Council put a 10-year moratorium on GM crops in the district.
7: Farmers in the Hastings area where there is a 10-year moratorium on the use of any genetic modification in agriculture are now going to have the issue, these technologies as they start to roll out are not going to be available to them and they're going to have to go through an expensive plan change if they want to be able to, to use these technologies. And uh, I think that's going to be a, a, difficult, a difficult road for them. And I, I think the other thing is that Hastings will probably now need to look at reviewing their rules, which they put in place only this year, and say, well, actually, do we need to update them and go through another plan change to say that uh, the gene editing technologies that are uh, being used around the world and possibly here in New Zealand in the near future are they going to have to change the rules again with a whole lot of expense
6: on State Highway 58 for two kilometres.
1: At the Hastings District Council, its environmental policy manager, Rowan Wallace, deals with the policy in the district plan. Hi, Charlie, nice to meet you.
4: Hi, Charlie, nice to meet you too.
1: Under the plan, there are to be no outdoor release or field trials of GM crops. Mr Wallace explained the decision to make Hastings a GM-free food-producing region for the next 10 years was driven by residents.
4: The community feedback that we got at that time was that council needed to take a precautionary approach to GM. They felt that there was a lot of uncertainty around what impacts it could have on our markets, particularly as Hawke's Bay is a premium um, uh, food producing uh, market. So they're, they're trying to market themselves to a niche market overseas. We're not a a large um, commodity market and so this had quite an influence on whether we could tap into that fastest growing organic market which GE being GE free sits alongside.
1: And while the chances of changing the moratorium to take into account new gene editing technology look slim, it's not completely ruled out.
4: Gene editing is something, is sort of a more recent phenomenon since the plan review was completed. But I think we would still look at at that whole effect on our markets. We're not against the science. The council's never made a stance against the science, the GE science or the GM science. It is around, you know, what effect it has on our markets. And that's what the community has signalled to us, that that's the important aspect on our whole economic and cultural well-being. And culture is an important consideration to council as well. Ngati Kahanunu have in their vision the fact of being GE free themselves by in their 25 year vision. So that aspect needs to be considered under the RMA process the cultural effects of the sustainable use of natural and physical resources.
1: And in terms of the public feedback that you've had since, has it all mostly been supportive or are there some farmers that would still
4: like that option? It's been mostly supportive, but we, there are always um, farmers who would like you know, to have that opportunity um, and the council's not against that. Um, it's just, as I said, taking a precautionary approach and we actually have a, a provision in our plan, a policy in our plan that signals that the council will review um, the stance that it takes if the community, if the general community um, viewpoint is that we should be doing that, or if new technology comes along that strengthens the case for being, you know, adopting GM products.
1: One of the groups supporting the Hastings District Council's decision is local GM-free advocacy group Pure Hawks Bay. Up a bendy gravel road is the property of the group's chair, Bruno Chambers. His home is nestled among trees and native birdsong provides a backing track.
8: There we have the esteemed Tamata Peak, which is very well known of recent because of a controversial track that was put up on the Craggy Range side. Um, That was originally gifted by my great-grandfather and his two brothers to the community of Hawke's Bay and is run by a charitable trust still.
1: A fifth generation Hawke's Bay local, Bruno Chambers has lived in the area as a farmer most of his life and is proud the district is GM and GE free. First an orchardist and now a beef and sheep farmer, he tells me keeping the area GM free didn't come easily.
8: We had to do quite a lot to convince the district council that, that this was an issue worth picking up. They called together a forum which brought in various people from different <coughs> organisations. William Ralston was there for the Federated Farmers being very pro-GM. The, the reality was it was a good process for the council to base their decision on going forward. So with us sort of prodding them from behind and the council picking up the cudgel, they've made a lot of progress. It was very disappointing to have Federated Farmers challenge us on our position on this, and, and likewise in Whangarei and, and Northland. It was really doing the farmers and the people they represented disservice the service because they didn't have the farmer support for opposing us on this. It was quite a process. We had to mount a whole rebuttal for their court challenge to the district plan, which was due to go to the Environment Court in February, Federated Farmers pulled their appeal at the last moment, but they did put us to a lot of trouble.
1: Bruno Chambers is unhappy with the way the use of GM and GE is being portrayed in the discussion material published by the Rural Society.
8: It's really disappointing that they are put out in such promotional manner that is really rich on hyperbole and bias and very short on anything concrete and tangible and with a complete lack of acknowledgement of any impact that they're going to have or the technology is going to have on our markets it just it's the wrong way round we need to be looking and growing what our markets want and what people overseas want to buy from New Zealand we've got to supply the top end markets in the world and that's our future
1: currently 64 regional governments in Europe have declared themselves gmo free And earlier this year, the European Court of Justice ruled gene editing is still GM and would need to be labelled as such and adhere to the same rules. A Hawke's Bay orchardist, David Cranwell, fears the use of genetic modification would limit where he could sell his apples.
9: The company that I work with, it's one of the biggest supermarket chains in Europe. They will not touch any genetically modified product. So if you're genetically modified, you don't actually have access to, to sell through their stores. So, end of story.
1: David Cranwell says people are scared about what the future implications of GM and GE could be.
9: If you're old enough, you remember thalidomide, and it was going to be the wonder thing. Well, an absolute tragedy, more recently, um, surgical mesh. That was going to revolutionise it. This is what colours people's feelings about GE. Is this any different or any better? We don't know. We're frightened of being told... 30, 40 years ago something was safe and then it turns out to be life-threatening and is the, um, the GE going to be any different? And I think that's what they have to get over or bring people on board with the safety of what they're proposing and I think they're a long way away from that yet.
1: Do you think then that until that economic analysis and those attitudes have changed, we're not really ready for that discussion yet?
9: No, you're right. You're totally correct. We're just not ready. There's, we're light on fact... And high on emotion, and it's and that until they can get the facts and figures and safety thing all in a row, I, I think it's, it's, it's a long way off yet.
1: So, what developments are being made in New Zealand right now?
10: I've just got some uh, Granny Smith um, pollen here, so I'm just get it, tap it down the bottom of the tube, take my paintbrush, and uh, rub it on the, on the female parts of this, of this flower.
1: The job of pollinating in this greenhouse is a human task. No bees are allowed to do the job, as these are genetically edited and modified plants. The greenhouse is bright and soon gets warm, so the temperature is controlled by filter air changes, driven by a large central fan. The greenhouse grows apples, pears, tomatoes and petunias, to name a few, and some of the trees flower all year round, producing seeds for breeding five years earlier than usual. It operates under a special research licence on the condition nothing, including pollen, leaves the greenhouse. One of the rooms is filled with 300 apple trees, and a professor of plant biology, Andrew Allen, at the Plant and Food Research Greenhouse in Auckland, says this is one of his favourite experiments.
10: Normal Royal Gala Blossom has a little bit of pink, a little bit of blush, Um, and then over here, the apple with the extra apple gene that controls red colour is, is shockingly red. Beautiful, if you like. The particular red gene we're testing is, is under a, a strong expression, so the roots are red, the trunk is red, the leaves are copper-coloured, copper the flowers are, are red, the fruit goes on to, to look more like a plum. It's, it's so dark and, and, uh, and coloured with anthocyanins um, that, it's, that it looks more plum-like than apple.
1: He says the public perception of the research is much more sinister than what actually happens.
10: I often get told that GM means um, adding something unnatural to a plant. It also means you're aligned with some big multinational company that I shouldn't mention the name of. The real case is nothing like that. We're we're academics or or public civil servants and we're doing usually an experiment in apple or, or another plant using its own DNA. There is no foreign dna from some strange plant put into these plants um, so the perception of what we do as being evil or, or dangerous is is way different than what actually happens in this in this greenhouse
1: he says other countries would plant these crops in the field and believe some of those growing in the greenhouse are ready for the outside world and that these trees are just as safe as traditional plant breeding and the benefits of what's being grown could be significant.
10: Getting those new cultivars as soon as possible is important because the consumer wants novelty wants new things so different colored apples, different flavors. Climate change is also a problem for us you know we've got in our environment things warming up a little bit and flowering is going to be an issue in, in all our uh, horticultural crops so uh, getting new cultivars that have, are more resilient to the changing climate is a big priority. These apples, for example, uh, if we know flowering well, won't need so many chill units. They won't need as strong a winter as we currently have. So it's important to produce new cultivars for our environment, but also for the market that's out there.
1: But all this research will be unlikely to leave the greenhouse unless there is a change in legislation, as all applications to release genetically edited organisms, which are GM under law, need to be approved by the Environmental Protection Authority. Since the Act was introduced in 1996, only three GMOs have been approved, a vaccine for equine flu and two cancer therapies for clinical trial. A review of the Act was last made in 2015, but with little impact to scientists or industries wanting to use GMOs. And the current Environment and Trade Minister, David Parker, has no intention of changing the legislation.
2: It takes a precautionary approach. People who want to make an application to release a GMO can. That's then uh, dealt with by the regulator, uh, and we think the law is fit for purpose.
1: What would change the government's mind on whether they'd consider re looking at the legislation? Would it be, you know, a change in public stance? What would have to change for you?
10: Well, I'd
2: have to be satisfied that there was a need to change the law, and I'm not satisfied. I mean, I, I know the law well, actually. In fact, I was a submitter in a personal capacity to the GM commission, the commission on Genetic Modification all those years ago.
1: David Parker says if New Zealand would move towards using genetic modification outside of medicine, it would first look at pest control rather than agriculture. He also agreed with the European Court's decision to include GE under genetic modification rules. So for now, the future of GM and GE in agriculture looks bleak but with other countries around the world reviewing where they stand on genetic modification and gene editing, sitting on the fence is a comfortable position. But there is a risk New Zealand could fall behind the rest of the world.
0: And by that stage, it may be too late. That programme was written and presented by science and innovation reporter Charlie Driver, with special thanks to Natonga Tonga Sound and Vision for providing archival audio. If you'd like to discover some great listening, you can head to our page at rnz.co.nz forward slash Insight, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Next week, the road freight industry. Is a driver shortage threatening the safety of trucking operations and endangering other road users? I'm Philippa Tolly, and that's all from Insight for today. Lovely to have you with us. Ka kite anu.